So Nashville says that Avery has not spoken words. Like he's been calling her management, but like he has not spoken words to Juliet and Juliet has not spoken words to him in four months. Ridiculous. Four, ridiculous. <laughs> Yo, this is not just some some dude that you're stringing along. This is the father of your child, your child. who has custody of your child. Hello everyone, this is Alex. And this is Em. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is the podcast for nostalgic Gen X and millennials, as well as binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we love, what we hate, and what was just a bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to, and do a bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode bonuses, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Today we'll be concluding our discussion of ABC CMT's musical drama Nashville. We're delving into seasons four through six of the series and constantly asking what was going on in the writer's room, why some decisions were made, and how the show managed to survive two more seasons after its cancellation at ABC. Despite constantly lagging ratings, Nashville managed to fail upwards pretty consistently. So what was it about the show that made it so appealing to networks, despite the extensive roster of guest stars and how inconsistent it was? Stay tuned. So, listeners, if you weren't with us last week, um, let's recap some details about Nashville. It is a drama and musical drama created by Callie Curry, and it aired from October 10th of 2012 to July 26th of 2018. It lasted for six seasons and a total of 124 episodes. The show stars Connie Britton as Raina James, Hayden Panettiere as Juliette Barnes, Charles Esten as Deacon Claiborne, Jonathan Jackson as Avery Barkley, um, Claire Bowen as Scarlett O'Connor, Sam Palladio as Gunnar Scott, Robert Wisdom as Coleman Carlisle, Chris Carmack as Will Lexington, Lennon Stella as Maddie Conrad, Maisie Stella as Daphne Conrad, and Aubrey Peoples as Layla Grant. Now, we're diving into season four today, and season four was Nashville's very last season at ABC. ABC canceled the show. ABC said goodbye. You have 21 more episodes. Make this shit work. And the A lot of the producers on the show, and there were always a lot, didn't really want to believe that the show was over. So much so that... Um, Instead of tying things up in a neat little bow, the show leaves season four at a cliffhanger so sure that 
they would get picked up by another network, which is exactly what ended up happening. <laughs> right. Well, actually, like, TV, like, network TV is weird in that, like, like you don't know that you're getting canceled if you if you get canceled. Like, you sort of just write your season out, and then at, there's, like, a certain point of the year. Usually you're finished. You've, you've finished writing, and uh, production's already finished for, like, your season finale. And you're just sort of, like... And you and you and you, the creator, you're just sort of like having to gauge, like test the waters in terms of like numbers, in terms of like do they like you at the network, of whether or not you're going to get like another season. So I think that they thought like ABC really would pick them up, even like even with like the falling ratings, like they thought that they were well liked enough that they would get picked up for another season, and that it and then. Um, ABC just, at least to their mind, unexpectedly just, like, gave them the axe, which happens all the time. Oh, right. Um, no, I, I, you're, Alex is absolutely right about this, you guys. Um, but specifically on Nashville, the, the network president, Paul Lee, said that Nashville had a lot more story to tell. And the writers hadn't even finished writing the fourth season when they got the cancellation um, from ABC. So the the showrunners at the time, Marshall Herkovitz and Ed Zwick, had had a talk about Nashville and the TCA winter press tour. Um, amidst the cancellation um, news, Lionsgate TV was really, really confident about finding Nashville a new home. So they intentionally forego the happily ever after um, alternative series ending that would give the fans closure and went with the cliffhanger intentionally because they were like gambling on this show, getting a new home. <laughs> well, there you go. And, and they, I don't, yeah, well, there you go. And, and you know what? They weren't really wrong in that because around this time, this is around that. It's crazy to think about Nashville some in a sense, because like during this time, like the, the landscape was just changing so rapidly because during this time, I think you also had Mindy Project that got the axe at Fox, but then Mindy Project was picked up for Hulu and then got to finish it out as a series. So, and there were other sort of series. Um, so, because now you have like Hulu and Netflix really like coming up and being sort of these powerful forces in the world. So, I don't, so, um, Nashville also, like, that's just also what happened, um, and Nashville had good reason to think it would happen, because it did, like, you just have networks and streaming services that are sort of rising, and, and everybody's doing a thing, so, that makes sense. Right, um, at the season four finale, they had, they tweeted a Bring Back Nashville um, or Nashville's Nashies, what a cliffhanger. And then there was an actual petition called Bring Back Nashville, um, which had over 171,000 signatures. And it was later on for seasons five and six that CMT made a deal with Hulu, which br brought back Nashville. So it was exactly like Alex said, these streaming services are, you know, getting in the mix and that changes everything. Right. So people, yeah, people were seeing their shows saved and, and all sorts of stuff. But let's, so let's get into to season four through six. So kicking it off with season four, um, this show doesn't get any better, you guys. Nashville never, 
Like, there's some shows that will have, like, weird, like, off-middle seasons, but then will, like, find themselves again, you know? And, like, really rally and have, like, a maybe, like, a stunning fourth or fifth season. Um, Angel was like that. Angel had, like, a really bad, like, third and fourth season, but fifth season of Angel is probably, like, unmatched in terms like it's the best season of the whole series like it's it's excellent but that never happened with nashville so let's talk about it who rude but accurate <laughs> um <laughs> so this is season four we pick up from the season three cliffhanger where um beverly um scarlet's mom and deacon's sister gives deacon a liver transplant Someone flatlines, but we don't know who. And when we open in the season, um, Deacon is alive and we realize that it was Beverly who had an aneurysm and is now in a coma. And later she stops breathing. Um, I want to say the best things about season four was I think the the music in season four went even harder as a result of the kind of lackluster writing. Scarlett sang a really beautiful song called black roses season two when we meet her mom and in eulogy in memoriam of her mom she sings a song called speak to me the op- basically the opposite of black roses um to say her final goodbyes to her mother and everybody comes to beverly's funeral including zoe who we hadn't seen really since her and gunner's breakup absolutely and that's what we, <laughs> <what> we pick up <laughs> i was really excited to see zoe because usually they like the black characters are like, forget you. <laughs> like, they'll write these, like, black characters. Well, they'll attempt to write these black characters and attempt to make them meaningful to, like, the world. But then, like, we never hear from them ever again. Um, but we got to see Zoe again, and I was like, I'm I'm happy for you, actress. Get that check, girl. <laughs> That's what's up. <laughs> and I should probably get this off my chest, too. Not on the Zoe character in particular, but on the show Nashville as a whole. When we say these seasons are bad, please don't let this be a reflection of the creator and the premise of the show. It is a great premise. Or the writers of the show. Um, As individuals, sometimes certain people shouldn't be in writer's room together. Sometimes too many people are running a show. And that doesn't mean that every individual is bad. That means that the narrative that they tell somehow gets lost in the sauce. And this some, this is something that consistently happens with Nashville. I really feel like a lot of what went wrong is people's failure to reevaluate a model that simply wasn't working. Right. And you know what? Not everybody has a hit. Like, not everything is going to hit. And, not, and you don't always do a thing well all the time, you know? That's just the nature of life. That's the nature of art. That's the nature of, of any profession mm-hmm. or creative, whether that's creative or not. Beyonce has a couple of songs that don't hit, y'all. There are a couple. <laughs> I won't name them out, but like, and I don't want the hive to come after me, but not everybody. Too late. <laughs> they right? come. They're going to come. But, you know, sometimes that shit don't hit. And listen, sometimes you do a great thing. Like Robert... Asazio, I can never say his name. Robert Asagio Cortez, he wrote excellent episodes of Big Love. Riverdale needs some work, you know? <laughs> but right. so like that's life. We just we're just talking about looking at the narrative. Um it it it, it just wasn't working, that's all. <laughs> 
Yeah, it wasn't. Um, I stand by what I said last episode that there really shouldn't be more than one showrunner on the show and that the kind of chemistry that people have in the writer's room matters. Like Alex just pointed out, um, well, um, like I said, every every writer's room doesn't have the right chemistry. And like Alex just pointed out, um, every, every, every premise isn't for every writer, clearly. <laughs> so um with that said we know your job is hard we know you did your best but somehow it got lost in the sauce and listen i think one of the things i love about that why we do this and why we look at this is that i think that like part of it is like a learning experience and i feel like every time we we talk this out i i've learned something even in that i think it's useful Right, right. Um, but um, yeah, like I said, I, I really don't think there should have been more than one showrunner per season because there are multiple stories being told per season that aren't always cohesive. And it shows. Um, it shows, there, that's all. There are great individual episodes of Natural, but sometimes they'll throw something at you that doesn't even fully um, 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 mature into a real plot it's just something that's never dealt with with and that happens essentially that's that's essentially the back half of the the series is that there are things that i think that they're thrown in and but nothing is ever fully realized or completed it feels like they're just sort of throwing things to see what what fits and they whereas like they're needed to they need yeah it's like you said there needed to be like a reevaluation and like a plan in there. Right. Yeah. Like, if you guys, like, if the, I don't know what's going on with the showrunners, but I feel like they should have sat down while a current season is running and really flesh out what they wanted to say the next season. So, um, because I feel like these writers were working with various notes, and that might be the reason why the narrative looks like it does. Because they were doing their best to try to accommodate all of the showrunners' wishes and expectations. Right. So let's get into some of these plots. So yeah, right. Beverly's dead. So Beverly's dead and um, Deacon is uh, grieving and Juliet is like full on off the rails. Let's talk about, let's talk about Deacon. Deacon and his grief for a minute. Yeah. Um, Deacon and his sister, honestly, as we learned in prior seasons concerning Deacon and Scarlett, they have a very, very tense relationship with Beverly. Beverly and Deacon were very close when they were children, but when they got a chance to be touring musicians and she stayed behind for her bumfuck boyfriend, who later became Scarlett's father, um, that kind of severed their relationship because of her jealousy at his success. And Scarlett never had a close relationship with her mom because she was incredibly abusive, um, in part because of how much she resented never having achieved her dreams. And this season after Beverly's death, actually, Scarlett finds a bunch of letters that her mother had um, had, had sent to like various record labels um, and had, you know, only gotten rejections right and so that was like a sad moment where you kind of like really really feel for beverly i will give nashville credit for one thing like it doesn't let many people remain villains for long 
without trying to humanize them in some fashion. Jeff Fordham got his and Beverly got hers. Right. Um, right. Uh, Deacon takes it really hard. Deacon takes it like super hard, harder than I thought he was going to like take it, but he takes Beverly's death super hard. And something I like about the Deacon grief plotline is how it intersects with Maddie um, in that you see Maddie, like, I mean, she's all, you know, smiles and, and because like, there's this like new father, like that she's discovering in her life. Um, and she doesn't hold a resentment, but there is, I think a part of her that feels like upset that like, she didn't have him growing up only because he does understand that like musical side of her like so deeply and I really liked how there in episode four there was this scene where like Deacon is just being Deacon and he's he's sort of breaking down and like he's very scary like he's breaking things like Maddie does like something super simple she tries to like go to his place and like give him like soup or something um, with that Luke Wheeler child that no one cares about. And Deacon just yells at her like very scarily and very violently. And I liked that because I think what that small moment allowed to happen is for Maddie to really contextualize why it was that her mother made sure that he was not around when they were growing up. And I liked, I liked it. Yeah, I really love that as well. Um, I think that's one of like the 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 one of those really really great moments of like emotional growth for a character. Obviously, not their entire arc, right? But Maddie's young, and Maddie held a lot of resentment towards her mom over Deacon, and now she sees like he was not sober. The, per- the angry deacon you see now is how he always was when he was drunk. He was an angry drunk, just like his father. And he was a danger to her and a child. So she couldn't raise a child with him. <laughs> right. He just wasn't, he wasn't, he was not fit to parent. Uh, I also like that um, Teddy is not forgotten. There's like a, uh, this season that like Teddy... And this is, like, one of the plots that they kind of drop, but that I wish they had sort of, like, dealt with further because it, it was really interesting. Teddy's incarcerated, and Daphne is, like, not dealing with Deacon being in the house that well or, like, being around more. And so it's important that, like, you know, and he's still trying to, like, parent because he is their—Teddy is their father, right? He's the father that they grew up with. And he's trying to, like, parent as an incarcerated parent, which a lot of people do have to do. Um, sorry, you guys. I'm—if anyone's listening, I'm sick, and I'm just trying. <laughs> so you might hear some sniffling. But, um, uh, yeah, he's—Teddy's trying to parent as an incarcerated parent, and I wish— and Nashville kind of like drops it, but I wish that would have been something they would have explored more. Yeah. I mean, we do see Teddy here and there in later seasons, but I wish he would have got more plot because I feel like this is actually when he needed more plot. When we were act when 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 Eric Close was a series regular in seasons one through three, Teddy's a lot of Teddy's storylines were lackluster. I'm just gonna say that. And like now that he has like a real 
like issue um a sustainable one because he's gonna be in prison for a while the show um kind of dropped the ball on him but like Alex said I am happy that he wasn't forgotten about and I do wish that they had explored Daphne more because the situation between her and Maddie is very different for Maddie Teddy is a father she grew up with for Daphne Teddy's actually her biological father (laughs) right right so it's very different. Deacon is coming in in a very type of stepfather type of role. She has to contend with a lot of things, right? Because Deacon is Raina's first love. And the show, you know, pretty much spells it out for you that he's her great love. So your bio dad is in jail. Your mom is picking up with her old flame, who happens to be your big sister's father. There are a lot of things running through a kid's mind. Is my father coming home? If she loves his father, if she loved um, Maddie's father more, does that mean that she loves Maddie more and loves me less? There's a lot of questions at play. You know, did she settle for my dad? There are a lot of questions here. What we know for certain is that there would have never even been a Teddy if Deacon had managed to get his act together. And that can really fuck with a kid's head. Right. And that's that was story that that they could have just expounded on instead of bringing in Marcus King to do God only knows what. Who knows? Nobody knows. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Please stop introducing these auxiliary characters. We're so sick of random people who I don't care about. And that would have been uh, that would have been more interesting. So with that said, let's. Let's talk about Juliet now. Oh, Juliet. So at the end of last season, Juliet signed to Luke Wheeler's label, even though she was still signed to Raina's label. Now, Raina could have been a bitch about it and sued her for everything she was worth, which would be well within her purview as both her label head and a really scorned friend because she's really tried with Juliet. But she just drops Juliet from her label. She's completely through with her. She signs this rocker named Marcus Keene. Juliet has a new album coming out. Her new Patsy Cline movie is a hit, but she's completely ignoring Avery, who's like with his parents in Ohio. She's doing promo. She's doing all these morning shows. She's ignoring all of his calls and texts while he's taking care of their infant daughter. So Nashville says that Avery has not spoken words. Like, he's been calling her management, but, like, he has not spoken words to Juliet, and Juliet has not spoken words to him in four months. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. (laughs) Yo, this is not just some some dude that you're stringing along. This is the father of your child child. who has custody of your child. What if he was calling you to tell you the baby was dead, sis? (laughs) Which we'll get to, but like um, the baby doesn't die, you guys. But the baby gets really sick, um, and uh, and it's and even worse. So she has not spoken to him, but Julia is like on television, like talking about him and talking about her daughter, about their daughter. Julia's looking her ass, look at her eyes dead in that camera's face, like talking to the camera, being like. Love you, Avery. Love you, Cadence. Mommy misses you guys. See you guys soon. And I'm just like, woof, girl. <laughs> like, listen, it's all that acting from that Patsy Cline movie. <laughs> just like, <laughs> like, if I was Avery, woof, it couldn't be me. It could not listen, be me. Listen, 
the fact that he didn't like like throw the remote so hard that it damn like it broke the TV is like a really really such a testament to Avery's character. Because I mean. I- I mean, if I was Avery, I don't know that I could have stopped myself from calling up a tabloid and be like, I ain't heard from that bitch in four months. <laughs> like, don't, like, don't you ever. <laughs> what? Right. And this is when, Emma, like, Emily, um, Juliet's assistant, um, who she kind of left behind in Nashville uh, with Avery and Cadence as, like, to do nanny work, even though Emily's not a fucking nanny. Emily saves the day because um, Avery's like, I want a divorce. I want full custody. And Emily's like, no, no, don't send them, them papers. She really loves you. She hasn't called. She hasn't texted. She hasn't checked on her her daughter. She hasn't even sent y'all like, like you know, uh, are you still alive? No, but she loves you. I'm sure of it. <laughs> right. And um, Avery doesn't have the passcodes to the bank account. So he's got to work. <laughs> He's got to go to work. He's got to go out here, get out here and find some producing jobs to take care of his child while his wife is off doing whatever she's doing. And they and then photos get snapped of them. And <laughs> Juliet uh, and, the, and like there's a scene where Juliet makes a call to Emily and she just like rips her a new one because the pictures make it look like essentially that Avery's cheating and I'm like, wow, Juliet, just, you have so much nerve, girl. Like, you're doing so much right now. <laughs> oh, my God. That, I mean, while what she said to Emily angered me, and she called Emily, quote, a gold-digging, backstabbing whore, um, it's, I will give the writers this much credit. The Juliet character is consistent, and she is someone who is consistently self-destructive. The pictures didn't even make it look like Emily and Avery were together. The tab, the headline said that, you know, they were together. But the pictures are literally of him smiling, her smiling, and a cute baby on the grass between them. Like, are they supposed to look miserable when there's a cute baby right there? I guess so. Um, she was doing entirely too much. Emily was doing exactly what Juliet wanted her to do, which was being like a stand-in mommy. So why are you mad, sis? Right. And to Juliet's credit, when she calms down and she looks at it, she's like, I'm capable of anything. But those two, nah. (laughs) Yeah. So she finally like gets out of this like rage that she was in. But, um, you know, there's a scene where, like, Cadence is hospitalized. She has a really bad fever. Emily and Avery are desperately trying to call Juliet. And she is passed out from drugs, which I thought was interesting because we know drugs is what got her what got her mom. Juliet, had she not had this career to fall back on, could have very easily ended up as Jolene. Right. Right? But also, let's talk about how her professional best friend is bullshit. <laughs> Because the professional best friend gets the call from Avery, right? After Jeff, like, submits the the hotel number, the professional best friend is the one who picks up the phone. And she's like, who is this? And he's like, and Avery's like, this is, um, this is Avery. Like, tell her, you need to tell my wife that our daughter is, like, in the hospital. Like, it's, 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 it's like something really crazy is happening. The, the best friend is like, hold on. And she goes 
and Juliet's half awake or like awake enough to have a conversation. And the friend's like, and, and the friend's like, somebody's on the phone for you. And then she's like, Juliet's is like, whoever it is, I don't care. Right. And then she goes back to the phone. The friend goes back to the phone and she's like, she did, I told her that the baby's like sick. She said she doesn't care. A, a whole dumb person. Right. You didn't tell her that the baby was sick. So sick. that's a lie. And if you're coming to me, there's a difference between saying someone is on the phone and your husband, husband is, is on, the, on phone. the phone. Right. <laughs> it's a difference. That ain't somebody. That's not some random. <laughs> it's not some random. And then the also the and even if the husband part doesn't get you, the fact that she does not relay that because Avery tells her Cadence is in the hospital. She doesn't relay that information because that also would have gotten Juliet's ass up. Like she's just like, oh, she doesn't care. And I mean, to Avery's credit, that's when Avery like because Avery had had been looking at those divorce papers for a minute. But after that, Avery's like, you know, Juliet does eventually get up and come running, but it's too late. And Avery's like, I want you. And not and not only does he's like, he's like, I want a divorce and I want you to terminate your parental rights. Not even like um, I want full custody. It's like I want you need to terminate your rights, which is whew, that was that's real. That's real. And like. Honestly, I think that, and don't come for me. Listen, hear me out, people. I feel like a lot of women should do this too. <laughs> um, there are a lot of women out there who are raising children alone. The men aren't active in these children's lives and don't like, like they can't be bothered with child support. They can't be bothered with seeing these children. They can't be bothered with showing up for birthdays or holidays. You couldn't count on this man if your child had a broken arm or a broken leg. Terminate the rights, sis. Terminate the rights. Because at the end of the day, a person can conceive a child and that will make you a mother or a father. But being a parent means being there. It <laughs> I is. was not mad at Avery at all. Listen, I was so proud of him because I felt like he, cause he had been crying. He was like in Ohio with this baby. Like, <laughs> like he, he was really going through it. And I I was so proud of him because, like, in that moment, he was just like, listen, I'm done. I'm finished. Finished with this shit. Oh, I was going to say, I think the show handled it really well, too, because it's clear that Avery's not using Cadence as some sort of pawn to stick it to Juliet because she isn't the ideal wife. He really holds out hope for their marriage until she starts consistently ignoring their daughter, even when she's sick in her formative years. Um, as an infant when she needs her mother, you know, the most. The way she treats his daughter is the, what puts the nail in the coffin for him. Right. Juliet can ignore him and, and act crazy to him and, and find whatever. Um, and it's, but the fact that she, she's neglecting, like, their child, that's when he's like, oh, no, like, this can't, this can't continue. So... Scarlet gets this like doctor boyfriend who is like really sweet and she just messes it up for no reason. He even yeah. writes her a song. It's the sweetest thing. It is. He tries very hard to bond with her. 
And I will say, like, I'll just go on the record and say, like, Juliet's not the only self-destructive person on the show. She's just the most obvious one. Scarlet, Scarlet really isn't doing much better. Um, Scarlet had legitimate reasons for leaving Avery because he was a shit boyfriend when he was with her. But her breakups with Gunner and then later her breakup with Dr. Caleb were just complete bullshit. And Scarlet not wanting to admit that she wanted to be with somebody else right right dr kayla brand is a doctor she meets in the hospital after her mother's death or right before her mother dies and you know um there's still chemistry with gunner but she says she's in love with dr caleb um he is really sweet to her he tries to connect with her on her level like alex said writing her that song and there's like back and forth with her and gunner all season long she ends things with Dr. Caleb. Well, no. Gunner gets a chance to go solo. The exes break up. Then they get back together personally and professionally. So the moral of the story is, if you're not Gunner Scott, a relationship with Connor is uh, with Scarlett is not going to last. And she will leave you for Gunner Scott. <laughs> she will. That's, that's what she's going to do. And I don't know. I'm not... I'm, I'm so unmoved. It's like, there's nothing that's compelling to me about it other than like this super nice guy that she who's really sweet who she just kicks to the curb you know um, how many girls want a doctor sis do you know <laughs> i know, <Do> you, know? <laughs> Good. you can really do something with that let's talk about layla for a hot second so layla so there's the layla plot is ridiculous um but before um jeff dies the the Layla plot is just not working. Um, essentially, she's just she becomes this really needy part like character, which I don't think neediness is like out of character for her. But at the same time, like she becomes so needy and so helpless. That, like as an audience member, I don't empathize with her um, because the whole thing is essentially that like she's on Highway sixty five and she's being like ignored as an artist. Um, like they're, they're just sort of ignoring her. Um, and I, I just hate it. I hate, I hate watching it every time they cut to it. It's like horrible to watch. And I feel like it could have been compelling because I think if they had really shown Layla, like working super hard on her record, um, and writing her record and recording and then performing and like sort of just taking, I think, matters into her own hands and working really hard to like get her her stuff out. And then Raina and Bucky would come back and like crap on her ideas or like crap on like what she was doing, be like, oh, don't do that. We had had a plan to market you this way, and instead you're marketing yourself that way. That could have been interesting because label sabotage is something that happens to so many artists. Like, um, for, like in my head, I'm thinking about like Tanache, who just in, independently released, and it's great. And it sounds like I think the stuff that she always wanted to do, but her, I guess her label was like legitimately sabotaging her. And that could have been really interesting, but instead we get this, like, um, we just get her like whining and we get her, we get this sort of like Taylor Kanye moment with her, with like Mark, she's performing at like the Opry 
and like Raina brings her out on stage to like be like this is my new artist and Marcus sort of like upstages her and then she like walks off the stage in a huff girl that would not have been me like if he came to like try to outshine my moment you bet my ass I would have stayed on that stage with my little guitar done backup harmonies or (laughs) something (laughs) try to like make sure you knew that this was my my thing but I don't know that that Layla plot just ugh the Layla plot was kind of cringe to watch, but it's one that I had to like ask myself, is this a bad plot or do I just have problems watching it? And I think it was the latter for me. Now, I will admit that the label sabotage angle would have been a good idea, but just not with Reyna. Reyna and Bucky are not those type of people. It would have been incongruent with their characters. So I think this plot would have worked if she had signed with like Luke Wheeler's label, for instance, right? Actually, her being ignored by Reyna was something that I thought was kind of like, didn't make much sense. Um, But Layla's behavior actually makes a lot of sense when you contextualize what she's been going through all of this time. She won that reality show, quickly fell from favor, um, unwittingly became Will Lexington's beard, someone that she had real feelings for. And when she was with Edge Hill... They were, you know, that label that was sabotaging her and did nothing to promote her. And Jeff was pretty, like, consistently trying to, like, ruin her career when she was with Edge Hill. So I see a person who's broken. Her confidence is really shaken. And this can play out in these needy-type behaviors, this need for validation. Because she's really just trying to pick up the pieces, of her self-worth at this point. So it was hard to see, but it made sense to me. Um, yeah. And like I said, I, I think, I don't think neediness is out of character for her. And I, and I do think like, like I didn't like it, but like there was a part of me that was like, okay, I guess that makes sense. I guess I just needed, like I said, um, and like, we'll say like, it's it's like these ideas of things, they just need more. They just need like a bit more to them. And I guess that's the more that I was searching for. So Layla and Jeff are still a thing in season four. They are and- a thing. And then he he kicks the bucket trying to save Juliet from right. like committing suicide. Cause Juliet is is feeling real low. Uh because um every because of just of everything that's going on. And I think Avery, I think also Avery, like, has just told her, like, he's he's finished. So she's not feeling it, like, at all. And he, and it's absolute, and it's accidental. Essentially, he goes to grab her. And in his sort of, like, pulling, it's like a body weight shift thing. And he pulls, and then she, she doesn't push. It's just like a, a, he loses his center of gravity and he falls over and hits it. Right. And Julia is so drunk while all of this is happening that she doesn't really remember it. But you know who does see it and capture everything on his camera phone? Luke Wheeler's son, Colt. But who? who? They finally who? gave this character something to do. So yay for that. <sighs> um <laughs> Layla's grieving. Jeff's family is incredibly dismissive of her. Juliet later goes to rehab. And when Colt tells Luke that he has this on his phone, his dad is like, oh, I don't know if you should show that to anybody, son. Right. But- <laughs> this random, like, 
Luke Wheeler's, I don't know, light skin girlfriend, light skin hookup situation is like, "Mm, that's a no. Right. Because she's thinking about just how it's going to affect them. Them. Because, you know, Juliet is Luke Wheeler's artist now and how it's going to affect Colt because he's the one that caught all this on camera. Right. Luke's primary instinct is to just protect his son from any media blowback. Luke goes through a lot this season in dealing with Colt and then later being advised to drop Will from his record label, which he does, which is a very low moment for Will as well. And they almost do this thing where they explore what it would be if Will were an independent artist and then they don't. Right. They don't. (laughs) It's just like, Um, okay. Deacon and another alcoholic, Frankie go into business running the bar that Beverly used to sing at. A I mess. don't know why a mess. I don't know why two alcoholics think that being around that much liquor every day is a good idea. Like if you're a sex addict, you don't work in the porn industry, right? <laughs> like, like if I am a meth addict, I'm not going to work at the methadone clinic, right? Um the- that's true, but I also do know recovering alcoholics who work at bars. It's like a whole like like control like thing. It's like a mental thing. I don't know. It's weird. I don't get it, that but I know that like, it's a that, thing. That sounds like torture. That's way too Catholic for me. But but you know, more power to those who are striving and surviving in that environment. <laughs> um, um so Cash is Frankie's daughter. And she seems really, really cool. Um, she's this influencer. She's a musician in her own right, but she doesn't have the even the sort of traction that um, Maddie has, which Maddie hasn't even blown up yet, right? But Cash sees Maddie's star rising and latches onto her. And she's older and seems really cool. And Maddie's really impressed with her. Yeah, this Cash-Maddie thing is like... Um, and she's she she's, appro- she's initially approved by by Reyna and and Deacon to be a sort of like songwriting tutor to Maddie. And I don't know, like, this is a weird, this plot is weird to me because initially I don't, initially I truly do not believe that Cash has ill will towards Maddie. I think she legitimately cares about Maddie. And then the show flips it and she becomes like this sinister figure. But then also like Reina and Deacon don't like help themselves in terms of like really explaining to Maddie like or like making their case of like why it's important that Maddie like finish school or whatever. Or like Julie, like funny enough, Juliet will be the only person to to like make a really compelling case and and actually even like do the right thing in terms of (laughs) setting Maddie up with like Glenn and other people who will like surefire like protect her but um but anyway but that's that's coming but um so essentially Cash yeah is like a professional best friend slash songwriter slash collaborator slash whatever essentially everything escalates because Raina and Deacon really don't help themselves because because Maddie's wanting to perform more and Maddie's wanting to like test out her songs and 
Cash is like, when I was your age, like I was sneaking into clubs and or in like coffee houses and I would just like perform in like these really small venues. And Maddie then does the same thing. But to Cash's credit, Cash goes with her. It's not like she's sending, it's not like she's sending Maddie out like on her own, <laughs> like to go to these places. Cash is like there to make sure like nothing like bananas happens. And a guy tries to get like fresh and then like and like Deacon sees that she's out that Matt and Deacon like sees that Maddie is out and Deacon just like of course completely escalates the situation way beyond what it needed to be. Beat like beats the guy up and it's like mm-hmm. and then they restrict Maddie and it and it and it all just complete and from there it just snowballs completely out of control. Yeah, I agree that when I first saw Cash and I like this is something that I'm like always like try to I try to be hyper aware of when I consume media, like people who I feel have like the tendency to be like manipulators or abusers down the line. And I never got that from cash. Um, she didn't always give Maddie the best advice, but she's 18 or 19 years old. She's not like, it's not like she's a Glenn or a Bucky or a Raina or a Deacon or even a Juliet who's like an adult or an apparent. She's just a couple years older than Maddie so she's not always going to give the best advice, but you never really feel like she has these sinister intentions for Maddie. When Maddie sees these acts of violence from Deacon, it only alienates her from Deacon more and more. And I think they made Cash a sinister figure so that when Maddie later asks to be emancipated and is granted that emancipation by a judge, um, you know, Cash will fuck up. Deacon comes to save the day and she realizes how much she needs him. So it's, it's they make Cash a villain to basically try to rehabilitate Deacon in Maddie's eyes. And I, I completely agree with that, which sucks. And I, I personally don't like. They make a Cash a villain so that Raina, Raina and Deacon's uh, actions seem reasonable. Um, because the, Raina and Deacon do make this Raina Deacon with the violence, but then Raina like with interfering and like doing all these sort of machinations behind Maddie uh, Maddie's back, which is really ugly. Like, and for me, to me, was ugly. Like, um, when you know, because the smart thing to do really. Because the smart thing to do really would have been to sign Maddie to Highway 65. Um, when they're at the court getting emancipated, there was like no official Highway 65 paperwork that was ever filed. It's a bogus con. It was a bogus from jump. Later on, it's revealed that there was never any paperwork. They're not official artists, which is why Raina was never doing anything for them. And Raina in particular is someone who I just didn't understand why she was so hard on Maddie in this particular dream. You know, like when a Teddy, for instance, was telling a 12-year-old Maddie, you know, or 13-year-old Maddie, stay in school, wait your turn. It made sense. He's not even in the entertainment industry, and she was much, much younger. But Raina is someone who became uh, a touring artist, you know, despite her own father's wishes. How do you not understand that this is what this kid wants? Give her your connections. Give her your background. Give her the, you know, the 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 generosity of your wisdom and your experience in this industry. Right. And, 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 and this is what I'm saying. The, the show never gave, never made a compelling case because 
I understand Reyna being like, okay, I want you guys to finish school and I want you guys to go to college. And if I'm Reyna, I'm going to tell Maddie, like, first of all, I want you to, like, I would tell Maddie, listen, I'm Reyna James, right? Like, let's be real. Like, I'm Reyna James. I'm rich. You will always have this connect these connections. There's not, like, <laughs> you're never not, this door will always be open to you by virtue of who I am and by virtue of your privilege. Like, so finish school, go to college, work on your craft, be really, really good. Because then when you're ready to do this, the first thing that people are going to say is that you're only here because you're my daughter. So don't give them a reason to say that. Like, be, like, use all these resources that you have and develop yourself and just be really, really good. Because by the time you graduate college, you'll be 22. That's, that 22 is, is still a perfect time to like enter the market. That's nothing. So go do that. And then when you're, re- and then like when that's over, then you'll be able to, you'll have like a more formative idea of like yourself and who you want to be and what you want to do. And it's, and it won't be so challenging. Like you're 16, live life a little first. Like, cause, and if she, and if Raina had said that, like, or if Raina had had that heart to heart with Maddie, if we had had some scene about that, that would have been so much better. But like, they never do that. Raina and Dee could just, are just like, no, don't. Mm-hmm. No, like, right? And it's right. weird. And I'm much more lax than Alex. Like, if if I were a, you know, um, globally recognized country music star and I had a daughter who, you know, could actually sing, could play an instrument, had songwriting talent, and was ad- was really dedicated to this, because Maddie's always in her room writing songs, I'd have been like, listen, we'll pull you out of school. I have homeschool money. I'll, you know, we'll get you a contract, um, with, you know, a writer on the contract that says that the contract will be canceled if you stop your homeschooling because they're rich and college will always be there. And if you decide you don't want to be a musician after all, and you want to find yourself and have your eat, pray, love moment, you can just go to college and be like everybody else. If you want to start your career right now, like I'm going to back you 100%. Because being an adult doesn't always mean that you're not going to be taken advantage of. We have tons of adults that were taken advantage of by their managers and producers. We have tons of adults that signed bullshit contracts and got scammed, right? And if I can na- if you as a parent can navigate to make sure that your your daughter doesn't get caught up in that, why not? Like what is even the point of having that sort of wealth and that sort of clout if you're not going to use it to give your kids the best advantage? <laughs> Right. And it, it it just isn't. And and listen, this whole, and then even for, so then even if like that wasn't a thing, it's weird. Once again, uh, we, and we talked about this a little when we talked about Jenny and, and Gossip Girl, this plot, I, I do not know why writers like to punish young women who are ambitious. Oh my God. It's so like, ugly. It's really ugly. It's becoming a running theme that I'm very like, like I'm starting to see like a pattern even like emerge. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and this like definitely like fits in with it. Like, and it's lame that like the show takes this course, but the show does take this course of like, they essentially punish Maddie with, with cash and this sort of cat because cash does become sinister 
for all for all for nothing for just being ambitious, wanting something, going after something. And I think we need to, I just, I hope that's like a thing that writers and creators start looking at more. Stop punishing your young female characters for, for wanting things out of life. Right. Um, and I kind of talked about this when we talked about Kiki's delivery service, how we thought it was weird that Kiki was on her own when she was 13 because we'd never seen it before. But, you know, um, Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer were like 12 and 13 on the road alone. And people think these are great American classics. Right. You know, why can't that woman be just as ambitious and try to make her mark on the world? And Maddie is not just punished for her ambition she's also punished for having sex because she and colt have sex this season and colt who had always been portrayed as very very kind very very loving very considerate of maddie then turns around and starts completely ignoring her right he does do that and it sucks um so girl can't get a break (laughs) layla and avery uh hook up this season and while i did not approve of layla I, I just believed Avery deserved. I didn't approve of a- of Layla and Avery specifically because I thought Avery deserved. Because part of Layla being with Avery was to get some sort of revenge on Juliet when she realizes that Juliet's the reason Jeff died. And it was like, like Avery deserves better. Like he do- he doesn't need to be in y'all's drama, really, <laughs> actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's upsetting it's it's upsetting because it's like why like why couldn't they have just liked each other because i don't hate the layla character i just want her to just get some you know i just i actually want layla to win but ugh, it's it's weird that she is like this person who's sad and then they just make her like this random like fatal attraction plot like that comes out of nowhere I was like, yeah, they kind of did her like cash. I think they assassinated the Layla character in order to rehabilitate rehabilitate Juliet in Avery's eyes. Right now, she gets to be the victim to Layla, right? Right, and it's just like I don't know what was going on in that room. Who I don't know what they a must have mess. just been a mess. <laughs> like um, anyway, I want to say quickly though, I also wanted the Layla character to win. I wanted one of two things to happen. I wanted Layla to never know that Juliet was responsible for Jeff because there's literally no good coming from her personally knowing. I wanted it to be something like she doesn't know. She and Avery actually move on together. And then Juliet confesses what she did to Layla after the fact. And by this time, Layla is, you know, hurt, but willing to forgive Juliet. Or the Layla character moves on with Gunner, and we can finally stop that Gunner-Scarlet tragedy of a relationship. If only. If only. That's what I wanted for Layla. Because Layla, Layla really deserved better than what the, what she ended up as at the end of this season. Season, same, same. Um, also, Layla and Will, like, rekindle, like, like, they don't rekindle, but they come to, like, a friendship, which feels completely unearned. Because it is. Yeah, like it is. It's completely unearned. I don't know why. Like, what was the point? I don't know. A mess. Um, yeah, mess. it's... So, I have to talk very briefly about this now that you mentioned it. Like I said, um, Will used Layla as his unwitting beard. Um, he came out um, 
while she he got to um you know come out of the closet and live his truth she was subsequently um completely humiliated because she thought that um this was love that this man really wanted to be with her and will never made any apologies for that and i'm not one to ever tell anyone when or even if they should come out of the closet but just because you have this um this sexuality or if you're trans or non-binary a uh, gender expression that is oppressed does not give you the right to lie to use and hurt other people no exactly and and she deserved better than that and and it, she never got an apology from from will it was pr- essentially well i'm gay and i had to hide it obviously so the collateral damage is irrelevant. And she basically spent her seasons on Nashville as collateral damage to somebody at all times. Right. That's what she, I mean, it felt like that's what her character was there for, which is not okay. Season four ends with Juliet and Avery have like made up and Juliet is like on a jet back to, back to him in Nashville. And the whole Maddie cash thing has been resolved. Elton John is on for a reason that nobody quite knows. And yeah. Right. Season four ends when Juliet gets in a plane crash on her way home. She was supposed to be at the CMAs and she wanted to come home and make up for lost time, which she wouldn't have had to make up for if, you know, she'd actually been there for her family. And season four leaves us with this plane crash, but we already know sis ain't dead. So what do we think of season four? Good, bad, or basic? It's bad, but you know, whatever. It's, I mean, it's, it is what it is, you know? Season four, I think, had a lot of moments of greatness, but they got lost in a lot of stuff that just didn't feel fully actualized. So for that, I'm going to give it a basic. Picking up in season five, season five starts with uh, Reyna on some sort of country ass eat, pray, love or because <laughs> uh, there's like a blind man playing like a it's a it's a guitar looking thing and it's short, but it's not a ukulele. I don't know the proper termage. Um, a piccolo? I don't know. I, I have no maybe. clue. Truly, honestly, I don't. I couldn't tell you. And Juliet is. Uh, in recovering from uh, her the plane crash because it was a really ugly one, um, and her and she's like in a wheelchair because she's uh, trying to do life and and yeah that's how we pick up in in season five. Mm-hmm. Season five also introduces another black character that the show won't really know what to do with. Oh my god, I um, hate. <laughs> oh my god, I hate this plot. Okay, yeah. They won't really, like, destroy her or, like, completely dismiss her or dismiss her as viciously as they did the Zoe character. But um, but she's she is a, a woman called Hallie who is who finds Juliet in the wreckage and like sings to her and stays with her until help comes. And then Juliet becomes like obsessed with finding this person who, you know, kept her hanging on to life when she was at this low moment. And one of the things that the show does that I really, really don't like is that, um, we have a lot of characters who like, um, Mm -hmm. guest stars on the show who play themselves 
Halle is not given the chance to do that. So Halle is played by a woman called Rhiannon Giddens, and she is from a um, string band from um, Carolina called the Carolina Chocolate Drops. On the show, she has to become Halle, and then the Chocolate Drops become the Nashville Chocolate Drops. Having the band play by their actual name could have been some great press for them, but the show didn't allow them to do that. Also, Maddie gets like a a black boyfriend who's bipolar. And they have a little Black Lives Matter episode and it's awful. And I totally blocked it out. I feel like that was an all Lives Matter episode. <laughs> I hate it. It's I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I'm not talking about it. But yeah, Black characters go off the rails this season. Howie is someone that I'll be like, okay, I guess we can make it work. But um, Clayton, Maddie's boyfriend, is a character that I could simply done without just because of the way the writers treated him. But we're going to get into that. Um, yeah. When um, Julia finds Howie, she wants to make a gospel record, you guys, because, you know, she's within the light or whatever. Yeah. And I was, this is also like Juliet goes to black church season, which is, <sighs> it's just sigh. That's it. That's all I have for it. Just a the big album sigh. Flo- the album flops, which I thought was real because, um, it probably wasn't really sincere to her. Right. It was just something she was doing because in that moment of my life's been saved, you know, she was feeling all born again. But this is not her sound. And I was the like, album flopped. <laughs> exactly. I was like, honey, you're not Whitney Houston. You're not Aretha Franklin. You don't sit out here thinking you're going to make a gospel album work. She was on her trying to be on her Mahalia Jackson. And, yeah. and, and <laughs> but you're, you're Carly Rae Jepsen. So. No. <laughs> she is. Um, so before we get into some of the deep plots, let's talk about the sort of main, main thing. And that is like Raina kicks the bucket this season. Mm-hmm. It got me. It got me too. Um, we talked about killing off main characters and core characters back when we reviewed the OC in two seasons ago in season two, White People Problems, and how they killed off the Marissa character. While I think Marissa's death was, I won't say necessary, but I felt an inevitable conclusion to the character they had been building, Reyna's death wasn't. Wasn't. I think Connie Britton was just done with the show, I think. But damn, the way they killed her, too. Was that necessary? <laughs> Car accidents. I, yeah, it's like, it's another... It was lame because it was like, she was in a car accident in season one, and then like, what, she's in another car accident like now? It should have been something different. Right. She suffered a lot because she had regained consciousness while in that hospital. The car accident was really bad. We know she was suffering. I was going to say the show does like this really weird thing where like they like foreshadow her death literally like moments before it happens when Raina's in the hospital and she sees her dead mother. Right. I will say like, I I thought that part was done well because like that is a real thing. People who are dying, they just, they, they see like dead loved ones. That's like a, that's a thing. It happened like a, like a thing thing that's been documented. Um, but like, I just didn't like the way it happened. I, I think they should have. So earlier in the, in a couple episodes earlier, Raina has like a stalker. Um, 
They should have just had the stalker kill her. Right. Um, like, I think it would have served two purposes. It probably would have been quick, right? It would have been like a stabbing or, or like a shooting. Uh, sh- right. Uh, like, her body wouldn't have gone through the trauma of a car accident. And then... I also think they could have like used this like um, almost like a, a backdoor subplot to if cause if they really wanted to kill the Maddie character's ambition, this would be a good way to do it. If y'all were really gung ho about that, which they were, seeing her mother go out like this from you know this stranger who only knows her because she's famous would have been the thing that either scared Maddie straight or made her reevaluate why she wants to be a singer. Um, but they didn't do that. They introduced the stalker plotline for literally like no reason. No like reason. it was useless. It was pointless. It was pointless. Um, in the rain. So in Raina's after like the, the aftermath of her death. And this is just sort of a contention. Deacon, who's never dealt with like grief or anything of that nature, like, well, um, essentially Raina's sister and Teddy come back to, handle the estate and it at first it seems as if deacon and teddy are going to like co-parent the girls and then teddy sees them all sing together and so and then suddenly teddy's like no deacon you can be in charge of like all of these assets in this estate and everything and in the money and rah, 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 and the girls i'm like what yeah. Um, I mean, he knew that Deacon wasn't some type of gold digger. Like, he was more concerned about the girls now that Raina wasn't around as a buffer. Which my thing is, even that was a little bit bullshit. Because, let's say I'm with someone and we break up and they start seeing someone else. If I don't trust that person, I don't trust that person. It doesn't really matter if my other co-parent is there or not. Because they're not always going to be able to be around the child at all times, right? If you're living with someone I don't trust, it really doesn't matter if the other parent is there. But apparently when Raina dies, that's when it becomes a problem. Problem. But even then, it's like, once again, it's like, it it could have been this really interesting thing and like this really interesting opportunity for like these two men to like co-parent together. And then the show just like throws it away. So what happens is like in the aftermath of the Raina situation, Teddy's let out. Teddy's served his sentence and he he's he's le- he's let out not only for Reina's death, like he gets like a day pass, but then like the show is like he only has like two months left to serve on his sentence, um, and then he'll be out out. Teddy and Reina's sister are talking about okay, like we're gonna handle the assets, like how are we gonna okay. do all of this? So it's like okay, this it, is where I'm confused. I think this is where I got confused because when they he he told Deacon it's okay, raise the daughters. He still had a few months left on his sentence, but then they never really show us when actually when Teddy's like fully released and then back in their lives. They never reintegrate Teddy. That's and where that, I got confused. Right, and 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 that's my point. They threw it away, which and is, then like we never come up. back to it, which is fucked up. And it's like, and here you have this like really amazing situation. Like I said, you could have like two men who both have like very valid you know, reasons, like, who both essentially have claimed to be in the lives of these girls and, like, their for- in their formative years now um, in the show, and really two men who really just need to co-parent with each other. That's what needs to happen. And it's it's a really interesting dynamic, and then the show completely throws it away. 
which is sad because I would have liked to see that. Um, I think everyone could have benefited from it, especially Daphne. She really needed that. Um, Right. She really needed that more than anybody. Um, And I don't think that this narrative is really in line with the Teddy character. Like, his children are his life. He's going to be let out of prison and then not come around? Doesn't make sense. That doesn't make Um, sense. It doesn't track with anything we've ever known about him. And I think Teddy and Deacon could have greatly benefited from this. I mean, they both have this great love for this one woman. And... All of their issues with each other were predicated on their feelings about Reyna. Take Reyna out of the picture, and there is a huge opportunity for healing with them both. Right, right. There is. And it's it's a dynamic that would have been just amazing. Like, it, it, it could have been, like, I mean, really great. And they just, I don't, but they don't do anything with it. Um <laughs> I don't even like so whatever it's it's just sad because it's an it's a big opportunity missed um oh let's talk about um Scarlett and Gunner and this director Damien I was just about to launch into this (laughs) I hate oh my okay so I really hated this storyline I really really hated it but like you, you you can start off so you guys know how I feel about Scarlett She's a character that the writers, of all the characters, I feel like as well-written as Juliet is, is as poorly written as Scarlet is. Sis never did get a real personality for six seasons. Um, They make Scarlet interesting by giving her a new boyfriend or a new breakup. And there's Damien, who um, the exes are back together. They're filming a music video. Damien's a director. And he is... Pretty much, I think, the first person on the show that really, truly treats Scarlett like trash um, or makes her feel bad about herself or makes her feel, like, insecure. And yet, somehow, she's drawn to that, and she fucks this dude and ends up pregnant by him. I, I, I watched these episodes, and I just felt enraged. Um, and I... And I watched them back and I was like, wow, I can't believe somebody actually wrote this. Like, truly, I cannot believe it. Like, (laughs) just because of how nasty um, it was and then the implications of it, um, just because of how the plot resolved, what what the implications of, of that are. So... Like Em said, there's this director. What's his name? I don't even know his name. Damien. Oh, Damien, yeah. Oh my god. Okay, so there's this. There, Gunner and Scarlett are filming this music video, um, and Damien is the director. Damien is shitty and he's manipulative and he sucks and he is really treating like he like he is verbally abusing Scarlett on set. He is, like, when he's not emotionally manipulating her, he's verbally abusing her. And he he's actively making her do things that she is not comfortable with. And it's, and it's horrible because for the first time, probably, like, within the run of the show, Scarlett, like, stands up for herself. And she's like, listen, because um, cause he's, he's feeding her some dumb line about... He, he's like, I need you to, like, thrust up on this guy and, like, you know, and he's like, I need you to give it, like, sex and, like, 
thrust upon him because you're you really want to like like have your sexuality and she's like no I'm not comfortable with that like that is not who I am that's not what I do I'm not comfortable stop it and then he feeds her some dumb oh my god and just I was like just like an abuser like he feeds her some dumb hogwash line of like well don't you want to be like Madonna who famously like I mean you know women have used you know there are lots of women artists who've used their sexuality to like liberate themselves. Don't you want to be liberated? And I swear to God, like, let it be me. Like, let it be me. I would have smacked a bitch. Like, I swear. And he feeds her this dumb hogwash line. And, and even worse. So like, after like a whole day of just like this guy, like verbally, like verbally abusing her, like, and being really nasty to her, she goes to like Gunner and she's like, I can't do it. And Gunner's like, mm, I think you're being a bit sensitive. I think you're being crazy. Like, I think you're, you're just, Gunner gaslights the shit out of her. And so then she goes back the next day and they continue this whole thing. And it's awful. Like this director like brings her to like tears. Like she's crying, like not like happy tears, like just like because she's so like stressed he reduces her to tears and it is it's just like the complete picture of somebody who like in talking about like me too and talking about like how you want people to be on set how you want directors to treat you on set um it is just a perfect picture of like a purse like a shitty director who was abusive who sucks who's like making a work environment hostile and then the show then takes that and then takes this Damien, who is this horrible person, and then validates him and validates the treatment that he doled out to Scarlett by then, by when Scarlett sees the video, like the final cut, she's like, oh my God, this was so beautiful. And I didn't know I had that in myself. And you really pushed me to, to like really understand a part of myself that I didn't know because I'm just a silly girl and how could I know myself? And then makes it even worse than still by having her sleep with him. And my God, I don't think I've ever been more enraged by a plot. Yeah, like this wasn't trash. This was the entire dumpster. Um, <laughs> the listen. entire dumpster. <laughs> right before trash pickup. Um, so yeah, it was overflowing. Huh, this <sighs> I have a, I have a few issues with the plot. Before I get into my issues with this plot, I want to say that we talk about Avery being a shit boyfriend to Scarlet when he was Scarlet's boyfriend, but he's never treated Scarlet this way. He would have never treated Scarlet this way. Never. And the things that made him trash were like his own um insecurities, insecurities um that he had at the time, which he did like, you know, um make amends for and was growing from when she er unceremoniously dumped him for Gunner. Right. Um, But that being said, Scarlet is there to be victimized. She's victim to um, Avery's tantrums and then in a more drastic way to uh, when her abusive mother re-enters her life in season two. And then now with this um, Damien character and Damien arguably is the worst of the bunch, arguably worse than her mother, because like 
Alex said, where she realizes that her mother was an abusive person and like just made her made her like peace with that. Damien's character is rehabilitated to, to Scarlet when she sees the final cut of the music video. Like the ends don't justify the means. You don't get to treat people like trash for, for the sake of art. And by having Scarlet fuck him consensually, not only does it like push forward that message, it also push, pushes forward an even uglier message that the way to get a woman to want you is to treat her badly or that all women secretly want to be treated badly, right? Because how do you go from a fucking gunner to a Damien unless you want to be treated like that? Right. It's, like I said, it's just ugly. Like, I can't, I really don't know how someone wrote that and it got past all the people that it needed to get past to, like, make it to air. Like, I truly don't. Right. I mean, that whole all women want bad boys um, undertone undercurrent of this is full on garbage. Um, the only people who say that are assholes and and or incels. Men who are actually good men know that people respond well to being treated well. Um, you mean you have characters like Juliet, right, who has like this brokenness in herself, which is very well explored by the show. But what they do to the Scarlet character and her being with Damon does not track with her character. If a Julia had fucked a Damon, it would have made sense. Because first of all, Damon wouldn't have had to verbally abuse and gaslight her into being more sexual. And B, she is someone who is dealing with a lot of psychological like a lot of psychological issues that would push her there, right? And my final point on this entire trash ass plot is that liberation is whatever you say it is. Um, for some people being sexually liberated means being sexual for others. It doesn't, you don't have to, for me, being sex positive means defining sex on your own terms. You don't have to always be having sex or selling the idea of sex to be sex positive. And I really need these fake ass male feminists to stop pushing that ideology. Right. Like, and what really enraged me was when he like fed her that dumb line about like, don't you want to be sexually liberated girl? Because like, that is a thing that like men like in the industry do push on a lot of young girls, not even young, just like women artists, period, who want to express themselves in a different way or don't necessarily want to be a Madonna or like want to be a super hyper, like uh, a super sexual, like female artist. It's like, they make it seem like there's only one way to be. And that's not real. Like, and it's crappy that they do that. And I think it really, oof. And like, oof, oof. Like it just, yeah. it pushed all of my like rage buttons, that plot. Um, and then also yeah, that, just dumb. The plot was gross. The plot was, was super really duper gross. gross. This was their first season on CMT. I, sh- I should mention that. And um, I know they brought over all the same writers, so I'm not going to blame CMT. But I I would legitimately love to sit down with literally anyone that was a writer or a showrunner on that show and just ask why. <laughs> yeah, like how did this come up, like about? Because... And a part of me, like, and I'm mad that a part of me did this, but, like, when I, after, like, I watched it and I calmed down a bit, I tried to, like, think about, because I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt, even when I probably shouldn't, I still do. And I was 
trying to think like, well, what was the point? Like what, what were, what were they maybe trying to do that like ended up as this? And I want to say it's um, maybe they were thinking about this idea of like, of like an artist pushing themselves or like an artist trying to push themselves into like a new expression or like a new territory expression wise going through a difficult process to get there. Cause that's a thing that happens. That's real, but it needed to be consensual. And this wasn't, if that was the goal, if that was the idea, we needed to hear like Scarlett somewhere like in this narrative, be like this, no, like this is what I want. Or like, I'm trying to do this thing or, or, or somehow showing that like, this is her, like, will like this is her choice to like push herself past like her comfort zone or like push her push herself like past her boundaries to get to like a new place but um and we just we needed her consent we needed her consenting or like driving herself to do that versus this ugly manipulative hostile situation and what made it worse what made this plot worse was that like everybody on set is like watching him like berate her and nobody does anything. Like that's what really gets me. There's no like, there's nobody to like, not even Gunner who's like watching it to step in and be like, Hey, yo, 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 but like fall back, fall back. Like that's what really like, ugh, it was ugly. It was just really ugly. I mean, Gunner not stepping up to help Scarlet was also out of character for him, right? Because he's someone who would usually do that. Gunner and Avery are always standing up for Scarlet. Um, I want to talk briefly about the Clay Carter character that Maddie starts dating. Uh, um, you have to, yes. <laughs> he's this black street musician. Um, he is seven years older than Maddie. Um, he is later revealed to be bipolar. He's revealed when he's revealed to be bipolar. I automatically know that this is a show trying to get rid of Clay, and I am absolutely right. But he's a great guy. He's a great sound, great voice. Um, knows a lot about music, all of which is self-taught. Maddie and Clay's relationship is actually very good, um, but it's it's still sketchy though because he's because this is when Maddie is like she is reunited with her family, but like. Maddie's 16 and he's 24. She's 17 and he's 24. Yeah. It's not, that's still not better. Yeah, no, no, it's it's not any better. It's not any better. I think legally she can be with him, but ethically and morally, it's a really fucked up situation to be. Um, to the writer's credit, the Clay Carter character doesn't sleep with Maddie. And she tries to, and she tells him like, listen, I'm not a virgin. And he's like, yeah, that's cool, but you're like, you're still you're still a minor, so I'm good on that. Like he's someone who's actively trying to avoid going back to prison for any going to prison for any reason whatsoever. Their relationship is one that the writers have toe the line, but I think because the writers knew that they wanted to get rid of him eventually, that's why they didn't make him the same age as Maddie. Um, fair. And I guess to Raina and Deacon's credit, both of them are like, he's too old for you. Right. They do say that, but, um, and this is kind of reminiscent of the situation with Alex and Hattie on parenthood, except there was less of an age gap between them. 
Um, but you know, her parents are kind of won over by him. He's really nice. He's really respectful. And Raina, Raina even um, offers him a deal at Highway 65, which he turns down for personal reasons. Again, another clue that the show's going to get rid of this character. Um, but after Raina hears him sing, she offers him a deal at Highway 65, um, which has now been picked up by uh, Raina James fanboy and tech mogul Zach Wells. So in exchange for 20% of the company, he saves Highway 65 and they're afloat again. And the Clayton character is, you know, good for Maddie while he's there. But shortly after Raina dies, and they have this really great moment where he like gets her to the hospital to see her mom when Raina's in the hospital. But shortly after Raina dies, you know, he says his goodbyes to Maddie, packs up his car and leaves for absolutely no reason. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, yeah, like this black they, character has served his purpose. Now it's time to get gone. They could have just kept him. I think like season five, like I think they're feeling just like insecure about the lack. Somebody must have said something to, to somebody about like the lack of black people on the show and they were just feeling insecure so then they you know so you have um rhiannon is that her name rhiannon 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 so you have rhiannon and then you have clay and then you know they're gone because it's like uh like so the thing with clay the one episode where i knew the show was doing entirely too much and trying a bit too hard was their all lives matter episode where maddie and claire pulled over by the cops he's driving and maddie goes into full-on white girl mode very realistic and she's like why are you stop pulling us over officer i demand to know my rights and she like the video of her talking back to the police goes viral And people accuse her of being disrespectful to the police. And she kind of backtracks a little bit where she's like, well, I respect the police, but I needed to stand up for my friend because the the police officer was um, treating him unfairly. So it was one of those I'm straddling the fence type situations where Mm -hmm. like I'm here for black lives, but I'm also here for the police. And no, they could (laughs) have kept it. That's the point. They really could have kept all of that. Like, you could have kept all of that. This is a show about white people singing country music, and that's fine. That's okay. You don't... We don't expect this from you. We don't need it. And you don't know what you're doing. So, it's like, listen, it's okay. Maddie has this one great um, single, Saved, coming out. And another country artist writes a song for her. Um, And Juliet sees a song, loves a song takes a song and um tell by telling this this um, this songwriter that maddie doesn't want it but she'd love it for herself and he gives juliet the song maddie never knowing that you know this song was for her and then she finds out and that kind of burns bridges with maddie and juliet and like this sabotage within the industry at the hands of juliet who's already an established artist really didn't make sense to me it made sense to me via like just who Juliet is. Well, I guess it did and it didn't because a part of me was like, if Juliet, Juliet seems like the time Juliet's characterization sure is the type of person who does that. But at the same time, wouldn't Juliet just write a new song? Juliet's a songwriter. I felt like, I feel like she would just write till she had a hit. 
She's right. Juliet's not somebody who has ever been shown as like being afraid of hard work, you know, like never. She doesn't know what that is. So I feel like Juliet would, she, she would pull, um, a Beyonce and she'd get all the greatest. She'd get all the people in the industry who are writing hits right now. And she'd lock them all up in, you know, a, a, a nice big house and they would all write until she found something that was going to go number one, you know? Right. She would, yeah. Like, yeah. No, the only way that this makes sense to me is in regards to that gospel album of hers flopping and, you know, maybe her being desperate in that moment to get a hit, um, which kind of tracks with her character. But like, like you said, she's a songwriter and she knows other songwriters and, you know, Deacon is also a songwriter. Avery is also a songwriter. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? Avery is the one that, like, helped her co-write the big, big hit, um, Dirt on My Grave. So that it doesn't make sense that she's acting like this. Anyway. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so season, season five ends with a lot of... Um, really unsavory things. And and Reyna's death was just so... The way that it was conceptualized was so jarring. This season was really bad to me. What was season five for you? Was it good, bad, or basic? Be, only because I think Reyna's death was semi-handled well. And I think... I don't know. I I want to say basic, but I think it's on the low end of basic to almost bad because there are too many things that could have been really great. Cause for every great thing, there's like another thing that like drags the great thing down. You know what I mean? Like right. Raina's death hits, but then this aftermath with Teddy and Deacon is like thrown away, which could have been great. You have the chocolate drops, but then that's never fully explored in that so it's it's a throwaway. You have this ugly, ugly. Um, you have this ugly Damien plot, which I hate. So like that. So it's just like it's too many. So I think it's just the low end of basic. It's like a basic minus. And it doesn't even get better. Like you have the Clay character, and then he's dismissed when he served his purpose. You have Scarlet getting getting pregnant by Damien. And then getting back together with Gunner, and then she loses her baby when she's assaulted outside of a convenience store, right? Right. Like, everybody's just being, all the characters are being shat on this season. <laughs> and right. poor Daphne. And it, Mom is dead and her father's in prison. This kid is going through it. <laughs> well, her father, who is by now out of prison, and then she just doesn't see him. Right. And, and they like, won't even let Will and Kevin be happy, right? Will and Kevin are going strong. Will's out of the closet. Kevin wants to move in together and they end up breaking up because Will doesn't want to move in together. Right. I don't like I said, for me it's the I think it's bad again. Yeah. Yeah. See, like I understand why they only had two seasons at CMT if this was the, what you showed us for your first season on a new network. Right. They, they tried so hard to create drama, but what did you actually resolve? Right. Like, <laughs> none of these, like, was any of it satisfying? D- d- I didn't feel like any of it, like, 
meant anything <laughs> ultimately, you know? I, f- I felt like the, the Scarlet and the um, Will characters in particular were just being punished unnecessarily by the writers. Same. So what's your grade? It's bad. It's the worst yeah. season of Nashville. <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's bad. So season six picks up there. It just picks up with uh, everyone, the whole crew, Maddie, Deacon, and Scarlett, and Gunner, and Will, and, and everybody um, at Christmas going into the new year. Maddie, well, no. Gunner has a new dumb haircut. It looks so dumb. I don't know. <laughs> who. I think I blocked that out. It's like, it's his hair, but like it's platinum blonde highlights. And it's like long. It's not like long, long, but it's, it's long enough. It's ugly. That's the point. Um, it's kind of like, um, what's, what's his name? Like Joey Fatone circa in sync meets John Bon Jovi in the eighties. Basically. Yeah. It's a really ugly haircut and somebody should have talked to him about that. And Maddie. So, and Maddie's career is in, in full swing. Deacon is, you know, running highway 65 and, and dealing with all that. And along with, Bucky. Juliet is not well. Juliet's going through like a, a severe depression. Um, right. And, and if we're honest, she's always been going through a severe, severe depression. depression. Right. And Avery's just trying to, once again, Avery's just trying to <laughs> try to hold it all together. Um, and yeah, that's it. Right. Um, so season five, we we saw a Juliet. Well, end of season four through season five, we saw a Juliet that was recommitted to her marriage and to motherhood. But in season six, they explore something about Juliet that honestly should have been fucking explored in season two, which because her mother died in season one. But we'll get to that in a minute. Um, let's just say Ju- Juliet has like the worst version of finding herself possible in season six. Yeah. So she joins a cult that is very reminiscent of a lot of other cults currently circulating. (laughs) But um, Maddie starts dating this guy. Um, His name is Jonah Ford and he's played by Nick Lucan. And I, I, and you said this, like you thought he was like Sean Mendez. And after you said that, I realized that's probably who he was modeled after. (laughs) He does. He looked like a Sean Mendez because he's not, quite Justin Bieber. He's like, he's definitely like a Sean Mendez type. Mm-hmm. And he's blowing up. He's blowing up. He's like this great new pop singer, but he's shady as fuck. And this is one character I thought was handled well. Nashville tries to retroactively make characters shady. Like they made Cash shady. They made Layla shady. But Jonah comes in the picture and the audience already knows he's shady as fuck. And right. really shouldn't be trusted. <laughs> he's already like on some deep fuckboy shit. So that's progress right he's got this really cute best friend called twig who i honestly think is like the better looking of the two played by dylan arnold he's got this great voluminous curly hair he's really into maddie but he's like he's kind of like just part of jonah's entourage and he's like jonah's best friend and the only member of his entourage who knew jonah before he was famous right i mean he's he's actually and then he's also like jonah's like producer he's like he's producing was he? I thought he wanted to, but then like Jonah never really let him. No, he does. He does. It's just that Jonah doesn't ever credit him. 
Okay, okay, that's what it is. Yeah, um, you're right. Jonah pretends that he's doing it himself, and it's now it's it's Twig. Twig is um, he's producing Jonah essentially, and because then he produces Maddie, right? He produces some stuff for Maddie, and Maddie's like, "Why haven't you been doing this?" And and Twig is like, "Oh no, I have. I just don't get credit for it," which is that couldn't be me. Yeah, I mean, Jonah just feels so grateful that, um, to, to, um, excuse me, Twig just feels so grateful to have someone like Jonah as a friend that he essentially becomes a doormat. Um, and his character stays in that role even when he knows that Jonah is cheating on Maddie with his ex and he doesn't say anything despite his feelings for Maddie and the close friendship he's developed with her out of loyalty to Jonah, which is a misplaced loyalty because Jonah really don't give a fuck about nobody. In season six, we meet a Daphne that is very, that is like uncharacteristically introverted in her grief and doesn't really have real friends. Right. And And she's searching. She's searching and she meets this one kid. She meets this one kid who is the son of a new recurring character that we have called Jesse Kane. Jesse Kane is played by Caitlin Doubleday. Some of you might remember her from Empire. And she's like the sister of actress Portia Doubleday. And she enters at the end of season five. And her son, who's very, very troubled because of Jesse's ex, his abusive father, and Daphne become close um, and this sort of feeling that they have of like being outcast or being misunderstood. Daphne, um, do you want to like a singing competition show? Right. Who's run by Jesse's abusive ex. Yeah. <laughs> like the competition is run by this dude. He doesn't like Deacon. He doesn't like the fact that Deacon has started dating again. Right. And Deacon has started dating Jesse right. and, and he can't outright sabotage Daphne, but he tries his best to um disqualify her from the competition and when that doesn't work he he like you know forces her to settle for second place when she clearly deserved to win that competition right it's it's a whole thing it's a whole thing it's it's a mess um this i mean the drama that we see in season five i think is better handled excuse me in season six this final season is better handled and i think it's because the writers knew that this was their last season and so they kind of got their shit together like it's over for real for real (laughs) for real but even then i feel like um it's too little too late some other stuff that happens is like so let's get into this juliet goes joins a cult thing Mm -hmm. it's like a major plot and i think it's one of the best handled plots um I, i i won't ever tire of saying that the Juliet character is a character who is consistent and whom the writers give a really full, well-thought-out character arc to. Right. So I just feel like this should have happened at the beginning of season two, but whatever. She joins the cult because she's trying to find herself. Um, She meets the cult leader, Darius, um, after her, you know, she gets some blowback from her fans. So she's in a low place which is the perfect place to be on, to be preyed upon by cult members and cult leaders. He claims he doesn't run a cult, but literally no cult leader in the history of cults has has accepted the label of cult leader. They really think there's something different than what they are. And she learns in one of their earlier sessions that her mother, 
who was strung out at the time, accepted money and allowed men to rape her when she was a very young girl. And this triggers her to want to fully invest in this path. And so she abandons Avery and Cadence again and goes to Bolivia to fucking join this cult. Bolivia! Cult! Your husband and your child are at home. But she doesn't think she can be the best wife and mother that she can be with this trauma having resurfaced, which is real and probably the most legitimate reason she's ever had for leaving her family. (laughs) Avery's just been through so much. Um, Poor Avery. Avery's, like, super supportive at first. Right. And he tries to be as as supportive as he as he can be until he's like, no, like the sky is bad news, and and Julia's not trying to hear any of it. So right, uh, like we said, Julia bounces to Bolivia, and they break up. Avery and Juliet break up again, and he starts seeing um, this I don't know girl with this white girl with purple hair. I don't know her name. Alana, who happens oh. to be Gunner's ex, he dated yes. her briefly when Scarlet was with Damien. Um, like Gunner and Alana broke up because Alana didn't want to be serious with him. Like she thought she thought they were casual and he was trying to lock it down. But she and Gave Avery start dating this season and they kind of bond because she pretty much essentially tells him that she has an ex who was like Juliet, like great when they were there, but you never knew when they were gonna take off again. And they actually have like a really good connection but it's again one of those too little too late things this character should have been introduced the first time juliet dipped how does juliet get out of the cult again i forget so she quickly realizes it's a fucking cult after going to bolivia and like like basically um turning over her passport because a lot of these cults do that like they make you give over your passport and there's another cult member there called rosa um she realizes while she's there that she's pregnant And when she tells Rosa this, like Rosa, who is a member that tried to defect and had her child taken away from her as punishment, she helps Juliet get get out of the cult. She's running down the road, hitchhikes herself a ride, gets her ass to the airport and comes back to the U.S. But, um, you know, by now, a lot of damage has been done between her and Avery. Obviously, and because a lot of um, a lot of her fans really aren't fucking with her now either, when she comes back to the U.S. and says, like, I was in a fucking cult. They don't believe her. <laughs> and Darius uses some of the information that he learned about her in their sessions to um, to assassinate her character. Right. You're right. 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 And then, um, and then during this time, <laughs> well, assassinating character, and then also something else that happens is that um, once it, like Avery and the Alana girl and Gunner all form like a band together, and they're doing well, but Gunner like can't deal mm. because he's Gunner. Yeah, and he won't, and he can't just be happy with that songwriting deal for whatever reason. I feel. There's a part of me that feels bad for Gunnar, and then a part of me that's just like, come on, son. Come on, friend. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, Gunnar and Scarlet as characters are so cringe and irritating to watch, not just because of the things like they do, but some of the plots that are written for them that seem really to not make any sense. Um, 
And I really thought they had bigger dreams for the Gunner character. Sam Palladio was the first member of the cast who was like officially cast to be on the show. Like I thought y'all were going to do big things with him. You got this singer, this Australian singer to be on your show and do a very convincing Southern accent, I might add. And then you like really drop the ball with him. Like Gunner's ish- Gunner's issues are recycled every season. They are. And he ne- he doesn't grow. He doesn't change. He's just sort of doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, so Alana, Alana leaves the picture um, when Juliet kind of returns because she says she doesn't want to break up a family, which is valid. Um, and she pretty much like leaves it up to Avery to decide if he's going to be with Juliet or not. Hallie is the one to tell Avery that Juliet is pregnant because she didn't want him to know. And then when he confronts her, Juliet tells Avery that she doesn't, it's not like with Cadence. She doesn't want to be with him because she's pregnant. She wants him to be with her when he wants to be with her. So even though the the cult was a very fucked up place to be, Juliet made a lot of growth while she was there about what it actually means to love, to compromise and to be there for Avery for a change and to be what Avery wants for a change. Yeah, it's still not, it's still, um, it still hurts when they get back together. Um, it didn't hurt for me. me. I, I knew. For <laughs> me, I didn't want no. that for Avery. I don't think he deserves that. The show alludes that Julia is, is not just recommitted to her family like she was in season five, but actually has like exorcised the demons of her past. So I'm optimistic about it. I am. I, I felt optimistic about it, which is why I wasn't hurt by it. Um, some forgettable plots. And there were a lot of forgettable plots. There are a lot of them. Will's overdose, which is something that, again, should have happened in season one or two. Not season six. Season one or two, Will should have overdosed. Um, Deacon's father, Gideon, comes back into his life. That should have happened in seasons two or three not season six. Um, and, um, the Zach character who, who, um, who, who bought 20% stake in highway 65 last season leaves to run for Senate. That shit don't make no sense. And (laughs) Scarlett starts working with an animal therapy center where she meets a veteran named Sean, another wholly unnecessary plot point. Why? Why? I don't know. Nobody knows. <laughs> why? That's why. Deacon and Jesse were the only plot that seemed to make sense in regards to like Deacon trying to move on with his life. And Maddie, I mean, Daphne and Jonah made sense. And then Daphne and that singing competition made sense. Nothing else made sense. Nothing else. Um, or it was just badly timed and it shouldn't have been in this last season. So, season six. Good, bad, or basic? Um, it was mid-basic. <laughs> it was basic. It was fine. Like, I just... I feel like it could have been good if they got rid of all the unnecessary shit, but it was there, so I think it just really straddled that line between mm-hmm. bad and good. Right. It, it, it just was what it was. Um, it... It ended with a whimper. Yeah. Like, even this Maddie and Jonah plot, like, 
This is 16 episodes this final season. It's her shortest season. She's dating Jonah for 15 episodes. And she dated Twig briefly in episodes 15 after her breakup with Jonah. Broke up with him on the very next episode, the last episode. So, like, she and Twig dated for less than an episode. And I'm like, she could have realized that Jonah was a dick much earlier on because I felt the shit was super obvious. Right. Same. Um, Just so overall, I think the series is, like, basic. I don't think it's something... I. I don't, I want to say, like, what, I don't think it's a series that, I think there are, like, interesting parts in, like, the first season, as much as, even as as uneven as that first season is, but I don't think it's a show that I'll ever really want to, like, come back to of my own accord by myself, unless I'm specifically like looking at like uh like if unless I'm looking at like um if I wanted to like write a country singer or something. Mm, that's real. I mean, the show tries to leave us on a high note. Brad, Jesse's ex, is taken down for all the women that he's hurt and taken advantage of and gets his label taken away from him and she finally gets full custody of their son. Maddie moves out on her own Daphne signs with Highway 45. Um, and legit, I feel like Daphne is um, the stronger vocalist of the two. And I was really happy to see Daphne get a fucking win. Um, Will and Zach um, get back together, um, even though Zach's currently running for Senate. So I don't know how that's going to work. Um, Will, Avery, and Gunner's band is back together. Deacon is touring, not as a touring musician, but like an artist in his own right, um, which is long overdue. Scarlett is engaged. I'm not sure to who. And Avery does come back to Juliet. So they try to tie up all the loose ends, but they had so many loose ends with auxiliary characters. Um, Nashville is a great premise, and I stand by that. And a lot of the writers that were on this show were great writers on other shows. A lot of the showrunners were great showrunners on other shows. It was just too much happening. And I feel like a a lack of direction and a lack of communication. It's a good premise. It's one of the few shows you'll ever hear me say on this podcast, I think should be remade. And not 10 years from now, I would say give it like five years and either try to redo Nashville or make a pop or an R&B or hip hop version of this concept and do it right this time. And I think it could work. Right. I like, I think show business or showbiz shows are great. And I think they're forever. I think they're evergreen, the concepts. Um, but Nashville, like as a cultural product within and of itself, it's not, is no, like even the sort of like, at the very, very end, uh, the final episode, the sort of Deacon remembering Raina, and then, like, and Connie Britton is coming back out, and um, the whole cast from all the seasons and, and crew come up are in, and are in the frame and stuff. Like, that did not hit for me. Like, because I was just like, why? Like... Right. <laughs> um, you treated a bunch of these characters like trash for the most part anyway, right? <laughs> like, I... I just, I didn't feel, um, uh, it, I wasn't feeling it, but, um, listen, I mean, 
Sure. Okay. So last season, season three, which was our family season, the show Parenthood finished with a montage. And it's still one of the most beautiful montages I've ever seen. Because I legitimately feel like, with the exception of, on occasion, the Joel character who played Julia's husband, every single character was so loved by the writers. And everyone, including Joel, was never forgotten about or left on the side of the road. So when they do a montage to close up their show, you f- it, like it resonates. You feel deeply. It, it's the, the Nashville ending did not have the same effect. Yeah, like I mean, it just wasn't. It wasn't there. So that's I don't know. That that that's what it was. And there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the back half of Nashville good, bad, basic and a statistical anomaly. If you'd like to watch or relive this series, Nashville is currently streaming on Hulu. Though CMT, the country music television network, was in theory a far better fit for a country music drama like Nashville, two brief off-kilter seasons there just exacerbated the problems that the series had had for years back on ABC and got the show axed for good. Luckily for Nashville, however, the show, despite its poor pacing, inconsistency, and largely irrelevant subplots, is still fairly fun to watch. If you're a patron on our top two tiers, be sure to check out GBB's Nashville Spotify playlist if you haven't already. Tune in next week where Em and I will be discussing the Stars Network's hit sitcom Survivor's Remorse. The series is currently streaming at stars.com on Hulu with the Stars add-on as well as Amazon Prime. The episode goes live next Thursday. In the meantime, our top tier patrons can tune in for another movie review where we'll be discussing Fox's animated historical fantasy, Anastasia. If you'd like to watch or relive this film, Anastasia is currently streaming over HBO.go on Hulu with the HBO add-on and Amazon Prime. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. We have three affordable subscription tiers packed with weekly and monthly extras, as well as bonus episodes. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash good, bad, basic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes, as well as exclusive bonus content be sure to follow us at good bad basic pod on twitter and instagram and of course follow our soundcloud page the good the bad the basic where all of our social media links are listed until next time bye bye everyone, everyone.